Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. We want to learn that no symbols or representations of God are to be made or worshipped. No symbols or representations of God are to be made or worshipped. That is in breach of the second commandment. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. When it comes to worship, you might think about the styles and songs you prefer. But what pleases God? Today on The Verdict, we're beginning a lesson on the second commandment and discovering that not only are we meant to worship the one true God, we must worship God's way. So what does that mean? To find out, let's join Pastor John Monroe for today's lesson. Some people believe the Ten Commandments are outdated and should be removed from our public institutions and all of life. But these commandments come from God. Today we consider the Second Commandment. We will learn not only that we are to worship God, but we must worship Him correctly. The Lord must be worshipped in the Lord's way. Jesus taught that we are to worship God in spirit and truth. Our worship must be in accordance with Holy Scripture. This is very different from having a casual view of worship or thinking that we can approach God and worship God any way we like. Or perhaps when we think about worship, we think more about our own experience than of truly worshiping God. If you have your Bible there, turn to Exodus 20 and let's learn more about the second commandment. Here is a young man who says he loves a young woman and to demonstrate his love for this young woman, He buys her pink roses. You see, that's quite something. This young man is demonstrating his love for this young woman. But there's a problem. The young woman has repeatedly told him that pink is her least favorite color, reminding her of Pepto-Bismol, which her dad used to consume by the bottle load. She also has explained to the young man that furthermore, she is allergic to roses. Now, if this young man keeps giving her pink roses, we would have to question not only his intelligence, but his love for the young woman. We would say, if you want this relationship to develop, if you truly want to demonstrate your love for this young woman, whatever you do, don't give her pink roses. Similarly, when we worship God, it is imperative that we worship God in the way that God has prescribed. To invent our own forms of worship insults our great God. In John chapter 4, Jesus said something remarkable. He reminded us that our heavenly Father seeks worshipers. Therefore, worship of God is to be the highest priority of our life. But Jesus also said in John 4, that those who worship this God must worship in spirit and in truth. That is, this great God, this Lord that we worship, must be worshipped the Lord's way. Do you not think often we have a very casual view of worship? We have our own ideas, our own desires, our own prejudices, thinking that we can approach God any way that we like. But the second commandment, let's read it from Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bible there, the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus chapter 20, 
This second commandment reminds us that the true God must be worshipped in a true way. We don't only want to worship God, we want to worship God in a biblical way, in spirit and in truth. Now, let's read the second commandment. Let's read again from verse 1 through verse 6. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. We want to learn that no symbols or representations of God are to be made or worshipped. No symbols or representations of God are to be made or worshipped. That is in breach of the second commandment. No graven images, no idols are to be made, worshipped or served. I want to suggest to you three reasons for not using false objects or symbols or representations of God in our worship and not bowing down to them, not bowing before any graven image or idol. First, false worship distorts, obscures, and limits a true concept of God. Think of this. Who is God? We thought of that question last week. God is spirit. And therefore, any attempt to represent this great God who is so big that He fills the whole universe and beyond, any attempt to represent God by a graven image or idol distorts, obscures, and misrepresents and limits the true concept of God. May I ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the fifth book in the Old Testament, where we will see that as God is revealing Himself to ancient Israel, He does not reveal Himself in physical form. Deuteronomy 4, verse 15. I encourage you to bring your Bibles, open them, read with me, make a note of it, study it during the week. Deuteronomy 4, verse 15. So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form. Not that. You didn't see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth. God is spirit. How could the Israelites make an exact representation of God? Utterly impossible. No representation of God can possibly capture this God who inhabits eternity and who fills everything with His glory. How can you reduce that to something tangible? 
that we could worship. What a small God. How does God reveal himself to ancient Israel at Mount Sinai? He doesn't reveal himself in a form. He doesn't reveal himself in a physical way. He reveals himself in words, not through a visible image. Two weeks ago, as we thought of the context of the Ten Commandments, I emphasized that they come from God and that several times in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy, we're told that they are written with the finger of God. God is communicating in words, not through an image. Therefore, as we worship God, we need to listen to God who has revealed himself in words, not try to create visual representations of him. That image would in fact be a distraction from true worship. That is why, as we're going to see in worship, the emphasis is on the word rather than on the visual. As God is infinite, any representation of God must be inadequate. And in fact, not only inadequate, probably misleading. By trying to represent God, we limit God, we obscure God, and we detract from His glorious being. We must not make God in our own image. One of our great problems in the history of the world, one of our problems in our own heart, I want to make a God that I can control, a God that I like. God is not like that. That's a false God. God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So false worship distorts, obscures, and limits the true concept of God. Secondly, false worship focuses on man's imagination and creativity rather than on God's revelation. A physical representation of God, what does that tend to do? It tends to draw attention to the ingenuity, the creativity, the artistic ability of the individual who is trying to represent God. And we say, wow, you're really talented. That's really good, man. Does it really help us? to understand and to worship the true God? No. People say over and over again, I like to think of God as. Have you noticed when we say that, the result almost inevitably is not the God of the Bible, but it is a false God. People who bow before a statue or a representation of God or of Christ may say that the statue or representation points them to God But what may initially be an aid to worship, perhaps even done sincerely, in fact, is a hindrance from worshiping the true and the living God who is spirit. Worship then, instead of being directed to God, ends up being directed to the statue, to the idol, to the misrepresentation of God. And when people use a statue or an icon in their worship, the object is often worship. The object is often treated with special reverence, or in some cases, as a kind of lucky charm. That was true in the history of Israel. Remember the story of the brazen serpent? Remember the snakes that came and bit the people? And Moses was was told to put a brazen snake on a pole, and that whoever looked at that brazen snake would be cured. A wonderful miracle in the life of Israel, one that they would never forget. Ah, but what happened to that brazen snake? They began to offer incense to it. 
It became the focus of their worship. And during the time of Hezekiah, that godly king, what did he do? He broke it in pieces. You say, but it was constructed by the Word of God, but it had become a distraction to true worship, and it hindered the worship of the true and the living God. The representation distracted from true worship. Number three, false worship fashions God according to the surrounding culture. If we were going to try and represent God, however we would do that, by having some sculpture, some picture, in all probability it would be a reflection of our surrounding culture. Let's think of an example of that from Exodus 32. Most of you know the story well. Moses is up the mount. And what are the people doing before they even receive the Ten Commandments? They're going to be involved in false worship. Exodus 32, verse 1. Here's a sad episode in Israel's history where they are reducing God to a familiar form, to a form that they knew, a form that they liked. They were reducing God to their own comfort level. Exodus 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So much for leadership, man, right? You're quickly forgotten. Aaron said to them, verse 2, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all of the people tore off the earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Utterly astonishing, isn't it? They had just been delivered. They had seen the mighty hand of the Lord. They're getting a little tired with Moses. What's going on on the mountain? We really don't know, but let's get on with life. Let's make for us a God that we really can understand. And what did they turn to? They made a golden calf as a representation of God. Why a golden calf? What were the false gods in Egypt? Many of them, many of the Egypts worshipped cows and bulls. And so they were familiar with these false gods. And as they're trying to make their own god, they turned to the society from which they were delivered. And they mimic that society. And they make this golden calf and have the audacity to say, this is the god that delivered us from Egypt. A golden calf delivered you from Egypt? Rather than being distinct as the holy people of God, they worshipped an idol, a god of the pagans who had held them in slavery, and in so doing, they broke the first of the two commandments. You say, what relevance is this? It's very relevant for us. Isn't it the case that in an attempt to be popular, cool, creative, we're told now we've got to be so creative in church, so cutting edge in our worship, that we often end mimicking the world. 
According to some church growth experts, here is how you start a church. Survey unbelievers and ask them what they would like in the church, and then structure your church service around what unbelievers want, as if we were selling ice cream or pizza or Egg McMuffins. Find out what people want and let us give it to them. You say, well, what's wrong with that? It it seems to work, and people respond. The problem, the immense problem is that this is not our church. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and the one that we are worshiping, the one that we are exalting, tells us how he is to be worshiped, not unbelievers looking for a comfortable worship experience, so that if people are comfortable we have succeeded. Israel was very comfortable worshiping the calf. They were used to it in Egypt. But God is angry. We are to worship the correct God correctly. And there's a very real danger here for all of us, isn't there? If our style, if our form, if our personal preferences mean more to us than the reality of worshiping God, we are violating this commandment. We are to worship God. We're learning this morning that no symbols or representations of God are to be made or worship. You say, is this serious if we breach this? Yes. Let's look back to Exodus 20, verse 5, where we will learn that the true God opposes false worshipers. A violation of the second commandment is serious, brothers and sisters. Verse 5 again, Exodus 20. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Rather serious, isn't it? But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me. How do we know that we love God and keep His commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you are in breach of the commandments, if you do things your own way, that is an evidence, not that you love God, but in fact, as we read here at the end of verse 5, that you hate God. If you're reading through the uh, Bible and you read Genesis and you get into Exodus, the first part of Exodus is very exciting with the deliverance of of Israel from uh, Egypt, the giving of the law, as we're considering. But then you come to Exodus 25 through 40, and uh, we get what what some may regard regard as all of those boring details about the construction of the tabernacle. I hope you don't find it boring, but you might. And someone might ask, why does God go into such fastidious detail regarding the construction of a tent? Why? Because the true God must be worshipped in a true way. And at the end of Exodus, as the tabernacle is constructed, we read that Moses did everything that the Lord commanded him, and then the Shekinah, then the glory of the Lord came upon the tabernacle. Why? They were obeying God. If there is a true God, it makes great sense that he will tell us how we worship him. And if we're in breach of that, he is angry with us. We have an example of false worship coming to Leviticus, Leviticus 10. Here are 
two men, Nadab and Abihu, men who should have known better. They were sons of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. No doubt he taught his sons very, very careful, went over the law with them as to worship. But in Leviticus chapter 10, we read that they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. I'm sure they were very creative. I'm sure they were very cutting edge, these young lads, probably getting tired and determined not to do worship their father's way. Now we were in a different generation, tired of doing it Aaron's way. But they had forgotten the second commandment. What happened to Nadab and Abihu? They were consumed with fire. See, worshiping God incorrectly is serious. In Exodus chapter 32, we read that the Lord was very, very angry when the people constructed and made the molten calf. Idolatry, false worship are repeatedly condemned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Why? Because Satan hates God. And Satan hates it when we worship God. He is delighted when we falsely worship the Lord must be worshipped the Lord's way. You understand that, don't you? And when I come to Almighty God, I don't just come in a casual, any old way. You say, well, he's your father. Yes, he is my father. Praise God for that. But I don't know about you, but I had a certain respect for my father. When I spoke to my earthly father, most of the time, some exceptions, I have to confess, most of the time, I spoke respectfully. Why? He's my father. He's worthy of a certain respect. If that is true on a human level, how much more the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the second commandment is telling us in these terms that seem to us rather strong, talking about those who hate me, that God opposes false worshipers. The first two commandments remind us that God is a jealous God. And as we learned last week, a jealous God protects that which is precious to him, just as, as a husband, I am jealous of my wife in a sense, and I am going to protect her. And if you love your spouse and your family, you would do the same. God does not share his glory with anyone else. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and a message titled, The Second Commandment worship God's way. We'll continue on tomorrow's program, but keep in mind, you can always find these messages and listen again anytime at theverdict.org. Well, as we continue in our study on the Ten Commandments, I want to make sure you're aware of the special resource that's now available to our listeners. It's a printable listening guide specifically prepared for this study, designed to help you follow along as you develop a deeper understanding of God's commandments and how they should impact our lives today. This helpful workbook is completely free, and it's easy to download when you visit our website at theverdict.org. And if you haven't already, be sure to add your name to John's monthly email list. Be the first to know about upcoming resources and the latest ministry news by simply signing up on our homepage. Here at The Verdict, we're committed to sharing the truth of God's Word every day. And we invite you to help us share these Bible lessons with people around the world by supporting our ministry with a generous gift of any amount. You can give your best gift today by clicking the Donate tab on our homepage 
or by giving us a call at 833-551-2231. That's 833-551-2231. You can even send a check in the mail by writing to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? Are you a worshiper of God? What does your worship look like in private and in your church setting? I realize there can be a lot of controversy in churches over worship styles, but that's not what I mean. The second commandment is not to do with the style of worship, but with worshiping God correctly. So often our focus is on our personal preferences rather than the Word of God. Join me next time as we continue to think of biblical worship and think of ways in which our worship truly glorifies God. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.